And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. The World of Mythbits. Hello, and welcome to episode 42 of the World of Mythbits. I am, as always, your host, Stephanie Barty. So, I have a lot to tell you, and hopefully my... (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, hopefully my speaking ability holds out, because my brain is fudge, as my friend Lally loves to say. But yeah, no, apparently not. (laughs) Gone. (laughs) So, we're going to get the important stuff out of the way first, before my brain turns to complete mush, and I forget to tell you. Alright, so this is actually a message for Jeffrey R. Young and Melissa Ridley-Elms. I highly suggest you take your happy little selves over to OpenContractChallenge.com for a special surprise from the one, the only, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> so yeah, pop over to OpenContractChallenge.com to hear a message for the two of you regarding the Open Contract Challenge. That is the important information that I had to get out this podcast, and I'm glad I got it over and done with in the first two minute and a half of the podcast, because after that, I can't guarantee you what's going to come out of my mouth. I have had a strange week and a good week and a tiring weekend, but a good weekend. Um, I've been prepping all week for an event that I attended this past weekend and, um, you know, making sure my books are in order and all of my decorations and things that I put on the table it represents the theme of my book and uh, waiting for my business cards to come in. And of course, chewing my nails off, hoping, please come in on time. Please come in on time. They came in on time. Yay me. Um, and, you know, job hunting because... I have to get a real job, <laughs> which isn't easy in a small town. Um, and because I don't have a college, a formal college education, I'm qualified for a ton of really good jobs. I can do a ton of really good jobs. Like I can manage an office. I can be an office assistant. I can be a bookkeeper, I can do bookkeeping, I can do payroll, I can do um, anything that being an office manager requires because I've done it, and I've done it for years. Unfortunately, all of the jobs that are looking for people to fill those positions want somebody with a college degree, and I don't have that. I have real-world experience, I don't have educational formality and educational papers to say that I have real world experience. So 
job hunting is going eh, as best as can be expected. And, you know, the jobs that you don't need a college education for, um, I'm applying for. And I'm getting back, you know, thank you for applying, but you're overqualified. <sighs> Great. <laughs> so, yeah, job hunting at over 40. Fun times. But anyway, so that's been my week. And then um, a couple of weeks ago, I had received a message from Lally Napier. She's an author and she's a really good friend of mine. And she had suffered a severe bout of sciatica that saw her off to the hospital and incapacitated for several days. Now, she had reserved a booth in the vending area of um, our downtown dock along the waterfront for the Midland Tall Ship Challenge. It was the Tall Tall Ships Challenge Ontario. And it ran from the 9th to the 11th. And they had all the tall ships come in. And she wasn't sure if she was going to be able to successfully work her booth and sell her books on her own. So she wanted to know if I wanted to come down, she would let me have a table. I could put my books out. I could sell my books, but she needed help. She couldn't set the tent up by herself. She couldn't set the tables up by herself. She couldn't tear down by herself. And I said, sure, not a problem. So Friday, um, they picked me up at two o'clock and down we went and we set up everything and, uh, I sold I was 13 books Friday night. I was so happy. We were there from three until nine and I could believe it blew me away. 13 books. Holy crap. I was stunned. Now the tall ships haven't, um, been in our area since 2013. And I'll just read you the little write up on our town page, midland.ca. It says the follow- following the success in 2013, the town of Midland is thrilled to announce that the Tall Ship Challenge Ontario Tour will be returning to Midland Harbour August 9th to 11th with historic fun and entertainment for the entire family. The event was a great success in 2013 and we're eager to welcome them back again next summer, said Mayor Gord McKay. There are so many historic attractions in our region. Having these ships grace our harbour again just adds to that theme. The three-day visit by the Tall Ships Ontario Tour will include a reenactment of the Battle of Georgian Bay, attack on the Port of Midland, tours of the Tall Ships, the St. Lawrence, St. Lawrence, Pride of Baltimore Two, Playfair, Madeleine One, and HMCS Oreo, community captain's dinner at the Heronia Museum, and live entertainment vendors. I was one of them. Food, a lumberjack, yes it is Canada, a lumberjack competition, buskers, bouncy castle, and more. Now, when we got there on Friday, there were only a few ships in the harbor at the time. Pride of Baltimore was there, and I got several pictures of that, because the book that I wrote, the lead male, is a shipbuilder, and he builds schooners, tall ships. Um, so I wanted, I had done a lot of research and I had gone and seen the 
tall ships in 2013 when they were in town, um, just to look at them, to listen to them, so that I could accurately um, describe them in my books. And I find if I physically experience something myself, I am better able to describe it than if I just research it and read about other people's experiences. So um, I went down and uh, when I was in down in 2013 and I went and saw them, they didn't have any of the cannons on display or anything like that. So that aspect of my story had to come strictly from research and going to museums and seeing old cannons just kind of sitting there not working. Well, this year, <laughs> when I went down, there happened to be two of the small cannons that I describe in my book sitting on the uh, on the pier beside the boat. So I snapped a ton of pictures of those, and you have, I was doing a happy dance because I'm like, yes, I got it right! I was so excited. And uh, so, yeah, I got a whole bunch of pictures um, on Friday. And then, uh, Friday night? no, was it Friday night? Yeah, Friday night, um, the rest of the tall ships arrived and there was a battle between the Americans and, of course, you know, the British, or Canadian, reenacting the Battle of 1812. Now, there was no battle in the port of, of Midland. Um, they didn't take Midland Harbor, but they reenacted this battle and they had the British troops marching down our main street and the Americans landing on the shores from their ships. And there was a big musket battle in the middle of the street. And there was a big ship battle in the harbor with cannons. And it was incredible if you, um, follow my Twitter page or not Twitter, but my Instagram. Um, I did manage to slip away from the booth long enough to catch a bit of the battle. I think there was two or three ships that I was able to take video of. And you can see the big clouds of smoke and how the, the smoke kind of settles over the water and the length of time it actually takes in between each cannon shot from one boat to another. And it really gives you the idea of what it must have been like in an actual battle where you've got that pause almost while you're, you're reloading. And it gives you time to really contemplate your fate and how easily it would be to get lost in the cannon smoke that is billowing all around you from your boat, from the enemy's boat, um, so the troops came to shore and there was this big battle with, um, the British military and the, uh, Americans. And remember, this is all 1812. So they're all in period costume with period accurate weapons. And my book is set in the 1800s. So of course I'm snapping every picture I can. And then during the battle, um, the British are, are, def are, I won't say defeated, but are caused to retreat. 
and the mayor of Midland is taken hostage. And Saturday in Discovery Harbor in Penetang, where there is an actual military establishment from that time period, that was an actual military establishment. Excuse me. There was another battle and we won back our, our mayor and, uh, then they come to, we, we drive the Americans out and peace is regained and go Canada. <laughs> so there was a lot going on and, um, talking to people yesterday, Saturday and Sunday, uh, there was acrobatics going on. They had this big, scaffolding type apparatus set up and they were doing rope stunts and you know where they would climb up the rope and then they would wrap the rope and roll down and you think they're going to fall and then they had the big silk panels that they were doing the acrobatics on and um they had tours of the ships and we had um i live in a very um Native American rich heritage area. I have the, uh, oh, brain is fudge. There is, um, Indian village at the end of my street. There's St. Marie among the Hurons on the highway. This whole area was native land at one point in time. So we had, um, a powwow with the drumming and the traditional dancing and there were demonstrations and talks given by um, local tribal chiefs. And um, we had all the reenactors that came in from Michigan and from Baltimore, Maryland, and from other places. I mean, these people get right into it. So they had actual encampments set up. And in Penetang and in, in, in Discovery Harbor... There were like hundreds and hundreds of these eight, these tents from the 1800s and military encampments reenacting what it would be like in the 1800s set up. And we had one of them set up just down from us and they stayed in costume and in role all weekend. And I mean, they spoke like they would in the 1812. They behaved like they would in the 18, in the 1800s. They cooked, they dressed, they, well, by the end of the weekend, they smelled like they would have in the 1800s. It was incredible. And this morning, Sunday morning, we had, um, the troops from the, the drum and fife band from, uh, Michigan. They, they did a, a tour up and down the merchant area and it was quite something to see. It was incredible. So that was going on all around us all weekend and uh, we were hearing about it. And of course, you know, you've got your great big foam costumed characters for the little kids like um, Paw Patrol and... Um, Jack the Pirate, or Jake the Pirate, and uh, PJ Masks, they were all milling about, and, you know, kudos to them, because, first of all, 
Friday and Saturday were, it was incredibly windy. And, uh, Sunday, it was incredibly hot. So good kudos to them for A, staying upright when it was really, really windy. And they've got these great big, huge foam heads. And for Sunday when, you know, I'm pretty sure they were probably getting ready to pass out. Uh, but, um, yeah, we didn't get out of the booth much. <laughs> and by three o'clock Sunday afternoon, I had completely sold out of all my books. So I was very happy with that. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I can't thank Lally enough for asking me to come and help her because I met a lot of really interesting people, really nice people. Um, Saturday saw the arrival of, um, Pearl City Cruise Lines. They have a cruise ship that starts in New York, I believe. And they cruise all through the Great Lakes and, um, Lake Huron is attached to Georgian Bay. So they come in and they come into the Midland Harbor. And this happened to be one of the weekends when the cruise ship was coming in. So we had a lot of, um, Americans coming through the merchants and, and the vendors and checking out what we had. And, um, if you've ever been on a cruise ship, you know that you can't, bring a whole lot onto the ship other than, you know, what you're bringing on with your clothing. And I mean, they have weight limits. So they don't buy a whole lot of souvenirs, but they will buy books. So yes, our booth was popular with the cruise ship crowd <laughs> because we had books and they could buy books and read books. So I got, um, started off with one American 20 and then I ended up with two American 20s. And then I ended up with an American 20 and an American 50. And uh, thank goodness. I mean, I could have pulled it up on my phone and figured it out. But thank, thank you very much to those American patrons, customers, that did not require me that, that, you know, when I said, do you want me to figure out the exchange? Because right now American money is worth more than Canadian money. And they said, nope, you know what? Nope. Here's $20. I will take your book. Thank you very much. So they pretty much paid like 26 and change for my book. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And, and they, they were very, um, they were just, they were awesome. You know, they, appreciated the fact that, you know, we wrote this book and we had this book published and we were out there selling it ourselves and working to get it out there and to, to sell it to them because we didn't just sit in the booth and, you know, people come and we'd written each written up a short synopsis. <laughs> Word makes me shudder every time written up a short synopsis. Well, not really a synopsis, because a synopsis is, is basically the entire story without all the good stuff, but a short description of the book. And there was a lot that I didn't put in mine, uh, because I only had one piece of paper. So 
they read that and then you have to sell them on the book. So we didn't just sit there and just take money, sign books and off you go. We told them about the books. We described the stories. We told them what was in it and what it was about. And um, like with mine, you and you have to know how to kind of read people and what's what about your story is going to interest them. And some people I could see, you know, don't dwell too much on the magical side of it. I would mention it because I'm not going to sell a book to somebody that is going to be offended by anything that I've written. I'm going to be perfectly clear with the, with people that, you know, there are ghosts in my book. There is magic in my book. This is not a book for children. There are some dramatic and graphic battle scenes and adult scenes. So, but you kind of read the person and describe the book in a way that is going to interest them. And surprisingly, it completely blew my mind because when I wrote it, I didn't plan on writing it for men. But I sold my book to several men too. They would stop by and, you know, I would give them my, my pitch basically. And yeah, I would say it is a love story and you could kind of see the guy go, oh, all right, I'm not interested. But it's not necessarily a love story completely from the woman's side of the view. I have no heaving bosoms in my book. There were a lot of heaving bosoms while I was writing the book, you know, <sighs> frustration. And I would tell them about the main character, the main male lead, Lance, because you do read part of a lot of the book from his point of view. So they would cry, okay, well, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I had one gentleman set the booth with his wife, and his wife really wanted the book. He said, you don't need any more books. I'm not going to read. You don't need any more books. You don't need any more books. I get bored really easily. So I opened the book. I found um, the passage of Tristan's death, where Tristan's ghost is, is looking back on how he died. And I here, read this. If you are bored at any point in time while you are reading this passage, you don't have to buy the book. And his wife said, I'm still going to buy it. I'm still going to buy it. I'm still going to buy it. And he read it. And I, about five minutes later, he's still reading. And I said to him, well, are you bored yet? He look, looks at me. I've only read four paragraphs. I can't tell you that yet. And he went back to reading. His wife handed me the $20 and I wrote the book out. I asked him, who do I make this out to? And the husband speaks up to Mike. So, to Mike. Enjoy. Stephanie Barty. So when you're, you're out there selling your book, you're working to do that because A, you have to make a connection with the person as a person. You yourself have to make a connection with the person that you're selling to. And then you have to take that connection and sell them on the idea of reading your book, that they want to read this book. And I mean, not all the time it worked because not everybody is into the type of story that I wrote. So, you know, you do your best. And... I started Sunday morning with 
six books. I had six books left out of, I think, 30. And it was slow going. It was slow going. The first book I sold on Sunday was, again, to a man. Um, and it was slow going on Sunday. So I was thinking, okay, you know, not a problem. I was going to run up to our local bookstore because they are awesome. And if you're ever in Midland, I highly suggest, and no, they don't sponsor me, but I highly suggest stopping by Georgian Bay Books because they go above and beyond to support local authors. And I sent many people their direction this weekend. Um, but I was going to run up to Georgian Bay Books because I have four books up there and bring them down and, and sell them at the table. But by one o'clock, I still had um, five books. And I thought, mm, you know, I'm not going to go all the way up there and then have to pack up all the books and then return the four because I didn't sell them. Um, so I didn't go. And by three o'clock, I was completely out of books and could have sold the other four uh, because when I sold the last book to a wonderful lady who had come into the shop that I was working in back in April and had seen the book in the shop. And she said she was going to go over to the bookstore to buy it because she liked to support local businesses and she was going to support a local author at the same time. Great. I'm all for that. Please do that. And then I, she didn't for some reason. And then I saw her again on Friday. She came by and Oh, I'm meaning to go up to the bookstore. I think I'm going to go and get it from the bookstore. Okay, not a problem, Miss Ruth. You do that. Um, but she came by today at 3 o'clock, and I had one book left. And I recognized her right away. Oh, my goodness. Hi, how are you? I gave her a hug, and we chit-chatted for a little bit. And she asked me how I was doing. I said, I have one book left. And she says, well, then I came just in time. And I made it out to her, and she gave me the money for it and she took it and then I had there was another lady standing there that wanted to buy one and I'm like, eh, here's my business card I'm available at Georgian Bay Books and Goodreads and Amazon and Barnes and Noble <laughs> here's my website go and you know and then I had um, a girl that I know friend of my son's she came to get one and I gotta go there so yeah, I'll be stopping by the bookstore tomorrow to see if they still have copies of my book because I sent quite a few people up there to get it. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely worth it. It was hard. It was tiring. My feet may not speak to me until sometime next month because I was standing on them all weekend. But I sold all of my books. And Lally did incredible as well. She had far more books than I did, so she didn't sell out all of hers. And I'm looking forward to the next event that I'm doing in September. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited. But yeah, the uh, Battle of Georgian Bay. Yeah, that was that was quite interesting. I bought a T-shirt, so I have a T-shirt, and uh, I'm just going to see if I can find the information on it so that I can tell you about it. Okay. It's called The Battle of Georgian Bay, Grand Tactical. 
A War of 1812 Experience. And I have the t-shirt. I was wearing it today that says Battle of Georgian Bay, August 7th to 11th, 2019. So the Battle of Georgian Bay is a War of 1812 event that will be taking place at Discovery Harbor in Penetanguishene and in Midland, August 7th to 11th, 2019. It is hosted by Discovery Harbor and coordinated by the Historic Military Establishment of Upper Canada, a not-for-profit group of the War of 1812 reenactors that believe the best way to remember history is to relive history. The reenactors in HMEUC come from all walks of life, and the group that they portray is the Royal Newfoundland Regiment, who fought in many engagements during the War of 1812. In 2019, the event is a special event because it will be the Grand Tactical. The Siege of Fort Erie. Discovery Harbor would like to thank Niagara Parks and the staff of Old Fort Erie for moving the dates of their annual event, the Siege of Fort Erie, forward by one week to accommodate both events for this year. If you are a reenactor, we hope you'll take this unique opportunity to attend both events. Now, the Siege of Fort Erie usually happens around this time as well. And as you can see, they moved it by a week. So, and they did the Battle of Georgian Bay. It premiered August 2001 at Discovery Harbor in Penetang at the actual um, naval establishment. And it was incredible. It generated widespread media coverage, um, critical acclaim with public interest, tens of thousands of visitors observed the color and pageantry of thousands of reenactors from all over the world. So it was quite an experience. Now, this event was the Grand Tactical. The Grand Tactical 1812 is a special event that is hosted at different historic sites. Every year, this event alternates between Canada and the United States. The goal of the event is to bring together reenactors from across North America and abroad for one large event every year to give participants and the public the opportunity to witness large formations in the field. In addition, it tries to showcase a War of 1812 historic site to both reenactors and the public in the hopes that many of them will have a unique experience at a unique site. Now, this year, the Grand Tactical, like I said, was held at Discovery Harbor in Penetang at the um, Naval Establishment. Now, See, I was sort of being smart and I had pulled up all the web pages of the stuff that I wanted to talk about and completely forgot all about Discovery Harbor. Hello. <laughs> Told you, fudge brain. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you about Discovery Harbor. If I can find historical information. There we go. Clickety-click, barber trick. If you're not Canadian, I'm not sure you'll understand that. There was a show back in the 70s, I think it was called, The Barber Papas. Okay, so, the roots of Discovery Harbor date back to 1793, when Sir John Graves Simcoe scouted Penetanguishing Bay as a strategic site for a naval base. The steep-sided, deep-water bay would be an ideal spot to protect and maintain ships. 
They could also serve as a vital transport link from York, which is now Toronto, to the Northwest. The War of 1812 between Britain and the United States sparked the construction of the active naval dockyard at Penetanguishene. By 1817, the British Navy, anxious to patrol and protect the Upper Great Lakes against a future attack, began building the naval establishment. The naval establishment would soon become a permanent home to the warships HMS Tecumseh and HMS Newash. The ships were later put in ordinary, their rigging and armaments removed and stored and their hulls maintained. Other vessels, including the supply ships Bee, Mosquito, and Wasp, transported cargo and supplies. By 1820, the base was maintaining over 20 vessels. It supplied British posts to the northwest and housed over 70 people, including officers and their families, sailors, civilian workers, and soldiers. The naval establishment was the winter home of Lieutenant Henry Wolseley Bayfield early in his surveying career. Famed explorer Sir John Franklin made a stop over here en route to his second polar expedition in 1825. As relations with the Americans improved, the British gradually withdrew their naval forces from Canada. In 1828, a British military force moved from Drummond Island, which is now part of Michigan, when it was ceded to the Americans. Many soldiers and settlers joined the small military contingent at Penetanguishing. By 1834, the Navy had shipped out and the base was now fully military. Soldiers maintained daily drill and garrison routines and were ready for war. Impressive officers' quarters and barracks were built. The community continued to grow. British officers, their families, and French traders settled into active life with the first permanent residents. They were joined by British Army pensioners who settled in the area. You can find many of their family names in today's Penetanguishene Telephone Directory. Um, the name Simcoe is used, still used today to describe the county that we live in. HMS Tecumseh, one of the two warships that were kept at the naval establishment in 1817. Originally built in Chippewa in 1814, HMS Tecumseh supported troops and supplies in the aftermath of the War of 1812, along with her sister ship, HMS Newash, HMS Tecumseh, was eventually stripped of rigging and armaments and put in her final mooring in anticipation of further action. No such request ever came. The ships eventually broke up and sank to the bottom of Penetanguishene Bay, where I do believe they still reside. HMS B, the B was one of three major transport vessels at the naval establishment. Schooner rigged, <laughs> she was designed to travel the waters of the Great Lakes. The bee, the bee, and served as wow. They need an editor on this page. The bee served as an important link in carrying essential equipment and supplies. Her sister ships were the Mosquito and the Wasp. And the bee, Mosquito, and the Wasp are all things you'll find up here. I can see where they got the names. Now the dockyard. The British Navy employed civilians in the dockyard to maintain vessels and buildings. There was a variety of tradesmen working there, including sawyers, shipwrights, and blacksmiths, all working under the direction of the quarterman. A lack of money, manpower, and materials made ship and building repair at Penetanguishene difficult. Budget restrictions were common, the saw pit operation was slow, and requests for a steam-powered sawmill and copper boilers for the steam kiln were denied. 
the need for short-term repairs to many of the vessels made it necessary to use green, unseasoned wood. By the fall of 1820, two of the three transport schooners needed major work, and HMS Tecumseh and Newash were deteriorating. The demands of a fleet of aging boats soon outgrew the capabilities of the shrinking dockyard operation. Now, the sailors stationed at Penetanguishene came from varied backgrounds. Some had seen action in the Napoleonic Wars and the War of 1812. Many of them likely dreaded a posting in such a remote base, but by the time, but at the time when thousands of naval men were searching for work, Penetanguishene at least offered a job. Isolation pay was a bonus. It's likely that many shipboard routines, such as sleeping in hammocks and regular watch duty, were transferred to onshore life in Penetanguishene. After long days of tending gardens, repairing ships, and rigging, and eating burgo, which is stew made with whatever was available, and hardtack, which is a flatbread used on long voyages, the men sometimes deserted. Muster lists from the time were dotted with ours. A letter including indicating a sailor had run. Drunkenness was a popular escape, made possible by saving up daily grog, rum, rations. So, life in Penetanguishene Harbor was not easy, and the neat thing is, is that they have maintained, rebuilt, and revitalized the military base, the naval base, and you can actually go there and see what it was like, the buildings, the costumes, people work there in the on-season hours, they live there, they live the life of somebody who would be on that base in 1812, in that time period. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I live in a very historically rich, like I said, historically rich area. So yeah, it's a, it's actually for Ontario, it is a provincial historic attraction and it recreates the days of the British Navy and military on Penetanguishene Bay from its beginnings late in the war of 1812 until it was turned over to the Canadian government in 1856. So we have a lot of, um, British influence, obviously. Now there is a timeline here. So in 1812, on June 18th, the United States declares war on Great Britain. Silly buggers. July 12th, the Americans invade Upper Canada at Sandwich, which is now Windsor. July 17th, British take Fort Michilimackinac, which is now northern Lake Huron. August 16th, the British capture Fort Detroit. Woohoo! October 13th, Battle of Queenston Heights and the death of Sir Isaac Brock at Niagara Falls. 1813, February 22nd, British capture Ogdenburg, which was now New York State. April 27th, the Americans invade York, which is now Toronto. May 25th to the 27th, Americans take Fort George, which is in Niagara-on-the-Lake. June 5th, the Battle of Stony Creek, a British victory! September 9th, the Battle of Put-in Bay, British fleet on Lake Erie defeated October 5th, Tecumseh killed in Moravian Town, which is Chatham, which is where my um, previous co-host, Mike, is from. November 11th, the British victory at Chrysler's Farm in Morrisburg. 
And it goes on from there. If you'd like to learn more about the history of the area that I live in and the War of 1812, check out discoveryharbor.on.ca. Okay, so 40 minutes in and I have just told you all about my weekend. <laughs> it was a good weekend. It's a really good weekend. Um, tomorrow I will be going to the bank and then getting a hold of my publisher and ordering more books because I need more books. Um, that's if my feet are speaking to me. They better be. <laughs> and I went and got something. I We got asked on Friday night if we took credit cards. Now, at that point, I could do an e-transfer. I could do PayPal and cash. So I had heard about this app called The Square. A few of my friends who own their own businesses have the little thing that plugs into your mic jack on your phone so that they can do credit cards. They can tap or swipe or whatever, credit cards and all that. So I went and looked it up and I'm thinking, oh, great. I'm going to need this little thing to plug in and it's not going to be any good to me. Well, I found out that you don't necessarily need the little square that you plug into your phone because you can download the app, which is free, and you just manually put in all the information, the card number, the expiry date, the CVS, whatever, all of that stuff. And it works. So that app has generated quite a lot of income for me this weekend. And you pay a small fee on each transaction. Like you pay like a small percentage and I think 15 cents or something like that. Like overall, out of all the transactions, um, I have close to $300 and I paid $9 in transaction fees. So yeah, definitely worth it. So I was rather pleased with that and I'm glad that I went and got the app and set it all up. Um, now if you're a little hinky about giving up your banking information, this isn't for you because they have to link it to your bank account so that the money that it's kind of like PayPal. You can link to your bank account and then, but with this, the money goes directly into your account from the square. So I'm just waiting for them to verify my bank account and then this will go into my account. So that was one of the best decisions that I made was to get this app on my phone where I can take credit card payments now for my books. Yay! <laughs> so it's been an awesome weekend. And like I said at the beginning, I cannot thank Lally enough for, well, having a bout of sciatica, basically. I said that to her on Friday. I can't thank you enough for being in pain and needing my help. Um, we had a wonderful time and I will definitely be vending with her again because we play off of each other very well. We're very similar in personality and in humor. And we had, yes, Mythmaster, there were shenanigans. Just not shenanigans that can be put on video. <laughs> Some things are what we call location jokes. You gotta be there to get it. But we had a lot of fun and made a lot of new friends. The people vending right next to us, they had um, spa products and they had bath bombs and soaps and lip balms and all sorts of creams and, and wonder, they had smoky, smoky bacon lip balm. 
and I had to take everybody's word for it that it smelled great because they use coconut oil. Um, and I'm allergic and I have had a bad experience where I've smelled a soy candle that has coconut oil in it and my whole face swelled up. Ask Dave, he'll tell you it wasn't pretty. Um, and their, their products are all vegan, all handmade, but found out we live on the same street. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, yes, okay, I know who you are. And the gentleman, Kale, he looks at me and he's like, do you have a daughter that likes dogs? Um, yes. And then my husband and Katie came down on Saturday to, you know, stop by and show support. Um, and I said to Kale, is this the girl you're talking about? And Kale looks over at my daughter and went, yep, that's the one. I said, yes, she's mine. <laughs> Everybody who has an animal on my street knows my daughter, especially if their animal happens to be outside. Because she will stop. She will pet them. She will talk to them. She will love on them. And she will tell them, I live just down there. So she's a kind of the unofficial ambassador of the street to the new people that move onto the street. If you have a pet, you will know her before you know anybody else. <laughs> just warning you now. So, yeah, my brother and my sister-in-law stopped by and my nephews to show support. And it was just, it was a wonderful, wonderful weekend all the way around. I had so much fun. I laughed. My face hurts from laughing and talking and I'm sunburnt and tired, but it's a good feeling. It's a really good feeling because I worked at something I loved. I did something I loved and that is the best kind of tired. It really, really is. It's the best kind of tired. And as you, if, if you've read my book and you were listening to my description earlier of the types of things that were in our area, like the sawmill and the shipyard and all of that, and you kind of recognize that I write what I know. I know my area where I live. So I drew a lot of my inspiration from right where I live. I live in a harbor town. The history of our harbor town includes sawmills and um, steel mills and lumber yards. I mean, it was big for lumber here. And schooners and, and battles and all of that. So, And this is not supposed to be a podcast promoting my book, but I gave you a history lesson in there. So, <laughs> Okay, I think I am going to wrap this up. Uh, don't forget, Jeff and Melissa, you need to pop over to the OpenContractChallenge.com for your special, special, special message, for your special message. <laughs> and yeah, we will talk to you all. We are still accepting submissions for our anniversary issue, which is coming out September 6th. So we will be accepting submissions for the next couple of weeks. Um, get them in. If you know somebody, tell them to, and they, they are, they are a writer and they have something. Tell them to send it in. You never know. We have had many new authors that have put their work on the site, wondered how things were going to go and have been encouraged and continue to write. And that's all you have to do. If you want to write, just write. 
don't get bogged down in the technical side of things. You don't have to have a degree in journalism. You don't have to have a degree in English or creative writing or any of that. Creativity doesn't need a degree. It just needs passion. Just do it. As Lally would say, do the thing. As I would say, creativity doesn't need a degree. You want to write. We have told so many people this weekend that have said to, I've always wanted to write a book. Then write it. Do it. Sit down and do it. And the two of us talking to people, we have been told, I'm not just tooting our own horns here. We inspired people. We encouraged them. We inspired them, especially young women. We encouraged them and inspired them and gave them confidence and, and yeah, let's, okay, yeah, I can do this. Let's do this. And they did. They've gone and done it and are doing it. Um, a young girl has a, a YouTube channel and we told her, you know, she gets points for every click. So we told her, send your stuff over. We'll check it out. We'll share it. We have, I have um, close to 2000 followers on Twitter. I will share it. And I will encourage her and I will support her and, and, you know, yeah, do it. Be creative. Write, dance, play, whatever. Be creative. Don't let education hold you back. You can get the education. The education is good. But don't let that be the reason why you don't create. Just create. And on that note... You can find, don't forget to pop over to www.theworldofmyth.com and you can email me at stephaniebardy at theworldofmyth.com. You can find me over on Facebook at author Stephanie Barty or theworldofmyth.com or the world of myth magazine, the world of myth bits podcast on Facebook and on Twitter, the world of myth magazine, the world of myth bits podcast on Twitter and my Twitter handle is at Lupa B. You can find me on Instagram at Stephanie Barty author, or you can email me, but anything book related at Stephanie Barty 1972 at gmail.com or check out my website at www.stephaniebarty.me. And that is it for this week. I will chat with you all next week. Have a good one. See ya. The world of myth bits.